This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. You'll find it on page 1066 of the Church Bible. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, (coughs) welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands And the man man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of the worshippers, the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Thank you, David, very much. Let's put this in the middle, shall we? Makes me feel better anyway. Um, just one thing I forgot to say about the SGP conference is that um, uh, this year we're looking after youth and children's work and we still need uh, just a, a small number of people to help out on the children's work. So that's fives to elevens or thereabouts. So if you might be able to help out on that, then uh, do tell the office here or tell me uh, this morning before you leave. But uh, let's pray now and ask God to help us to understand this passage before us. Father, we thank you. Uh, for Jesus' conversation here with this woman from Samaria. And we, we pray that you'd help us to learn great truths from this. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Quite a number of years ago now, I was uh, talking to a, a former vicar of our former church in Lowestoft. And he said, uh, the Holy Spirit is just in the walls of that building Well, I didn't say anything at the time, but uh, perhaps I should have done, because I I just don't think that's true. And then about uh, two or three weeks ago, I was talking to someone here who was uh, uh, hiring the centre for um, uh, the thing that they were doing, and their delightful leader was a little bit concerned about the alarm, so I showed him how to do it, and uh, I said, look, don't worry if it it doesn't go quite right, it's uh, uh, it's just here to keep the rain off, this building is just here to keep the rain off, and he said, uh, oh no it's not, the Holy Spirit dwells here, and I said, actually he doesn't, he dwells in my heart and yours, but not in a building. And we need to get away from this fixation on buildings and places. Uh, it, it may seem a little odd this morning when we're celebrating our new heating system and being toasty this morning. Actually, it didn't come on automatically, so we'll still need to sort that out. But, uh, um, but it does seem a bit strange, doesn't it? When uh, we've just spent 59,000, we'll get the VAT back, we pray. Um, and we're going to sort out the remaining of these windows here. And we could do with a coat of paint at some point and so on. Well, I'm saying, actually, buildings aren't that important. So what's going on here? And uh, um, well, we have great facilities here. 
We really do have great facilities here. Uh, for instance, the SGP, the Sussex Gospel Partnership, we have the partnership that meets here uh, a couple of times a year, something like that. And, uh, and I've lost count the number of times that other ministers, 70, 80 of them meeting in here and through next door, have said, Phil, you've got wonderful facilities here. And I feel like saying, yeah, and you should see the yak down the road as well. And we have the most wonderful facilities here. And we are thankful to God. And we want to uh, honour and give thanks to God for those who've given generously in our generation and for those who've given generously in past generations. And we have terrific facilities which we are tremendously thankful to God and we will not rubbish them at all. But we need to be clear about our theology. So lots of people have met with God and been converted here. And lots of people have met with God and been converted in other places because the building is not the important thing. We're thankful to God. We're immensely thankful to God for this building. But actually, we don't need this building for this church to exist, because the church is the people. So why am I saying all this? What's the, what's the, the key thing from John chapter 4 this morning? Well, some people think um, that it, John chapter 4 is about... Uh, evangelism is a great example of how to engage with someone who's not a believer. It is, but that's not the main thing. Because this morning we're thinking about Christianity is a person, not a place. A person, not a place. And as we look at, whenever you read John's Gospel, it's really important that you, you go back to, or you go to the end of John, or nearly the end of John's Gospel, chapter 20 and verse 31, because it tells you what the Gospel's for, why John wrote it. And there he wrote down this, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that is why John 4 has been recorded for us that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that through believing we may have life in his name. Christianity is about a person, not a place. And there are two sub-points this morning. So first of all, to say eternal life is about a person, not a place. And then secondly, true worship, it's about a person and not a place. So while this place is important for us, It's not absolutely essential, strange as it may seem. And that's really important for us to realise. Because in Jesus' day, the buildings were essential. In Jesus' day, they'd say, if you're going to meet with God, if you want eternal life and you're going to worship God properly, you've got to go to the building. That's what they said, you've got to go to the building in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, actually, that's now redundant. And in fact, in one sense, all Christian buildings are redundant since Jesus' day. Because you don't have to go to them, but they are very, very useful. So don't misunderstand me. This is a great building. It's very, very useful, but it's not actually essential. If there were no church buildings in this country, we'd still be okay as a Christian church. But in Jesus' day, if there were no temple, that was the end of stuff. Your religion's done in Jesus' day, before and up to the time of Jesus. So, uh, the first point, let's look at the first point, and it's this, eternal life, it's a person, not a place. So, first of all, a little bit of background, we're looking mainly at the first 15 verses here. Jesus is in Judea, and he wants to go to Galilee. 
You can see that in the first uh, three or four verses there. And it's a three-day walk. And uh, geography-wise, I think, have we got a map here? Let's have a look. Here we are. So there you go. Judea is in the south. Samaria is in the middle. Galilee is in the north. If you want to go from Judea up to uh, uh, Galilee, then you need to go through Samaria. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, the Romans bunched together Judea, Galilee, Samaria in one kind of uh, bit together. Um, And uh, the trouble is with the the guys, the Jews in Judea and the Samaritans in Samaria, they just hated each other. And the reason for that was the history is this, that... um, uh, well, frankly, the Jews thought that the Samaritans were mongrels. Because what had happened in 722, the Assyrians had come in, they'd destroyed the, the northern kingdom, Samaria, there, and then they'd invited lots of other people to come in, there was lots of intermarrying, and what happened was the Samaritans were therefore no longer a pure breed, if you like, or a pure race. They should have maintained their racial purity. And the Jews hated them for it. They absolutely hated them for it. uh, But the Samaritans, they built their own temple. And then the Jews went and, to add insult to injury, or injury to insult, the Jews then went and destroyed that about 150 years before Jesus. So there was poisonous relations between the Jews and the Samaritans. And in verses 5 and 6 here, Jesus turns up at a town in Samaria called Sychar. That's where Jacob had built a, built, uh, dug a well. You could still go there. We're pretty sure we know where it is. And Jesus initiates a conversation with a Samaritan woman in verse 7. She came to draw water. Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone off to go and get some food in the town. She's a Samaritan woman. Now, the, the rabbis said a man shouldn't even greet a woman in the street. Not even his own wife. And a rabbi, and Jesus was seen as a rabbi, wouldn't even speak to a woman. And then you add on to that the fact that she's a Samaritan woman. They shouldn't have even been within, well spitting distance because that's what, how they would have felt towards each other and quite possibly in verse 9 um, just imagine the woman there standing with her feet slightly far apart her hands on her hips with a sneer on her lips saying you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink and a conversation begins and it's a spiritual conversation that Jesus is trying to get across to her. And she is utterly clueless, at least as first. She begins to make some progress later on, but she doesn't understand the things that Jesus is talking about. So you look at verse 10, for instance. If you knew the gift of God, that is, Jesus is the gift of God. If you knew the gift that God gives you through Jesus, eternal life, his mercy, his forgiveness. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. We're going to sing that song, Living Water, during the communion part of our service today. And uh, the trouble is, for both Jews and Samaritans, they thought that eternal life was about a place. And so many people think the same today. I mean, the Jews and the Samaritans, they approached it rather like a funnel. 
So they, they basically said, you're going to be okay, the Jewish people would say, you're okay if you're a Jew and you go to Jerusalem and then you go to the temple. And providing you're at the temple, you're going to be all right. The Samaritans said, you're okay if you're a Samaritan and you live in Samaria and then you go to the temple which was on Mount Gerizim. And this conversation was taking place on the lower slopes of Mount Gerizim, that's, that's where the village is. It's all about, for them, it's all about a place. And Jesus says, it's not about the place. It just isn't. Eternal life is not about a place. People think they can find eternal life in a place. It isn't. People think they have to come to um, exercise their religion to a place. You don't have to. We have people who come into the building here to pray. Whenever I see them coming in here to pray, I say to them, you're very welcome to come in here to pray, but you don't have to come here to pray. You can pray on the bus. You can pray at home, in your bedroom, in your garden. You can pray up a mountain. You can pray down by the side. You can pray anywhere you like. You don't have to come here. It may be helpful to do so. That's fine. And you're very welcome. But you don't have to come here to pray. And there have been people who found eternal life here. But people have found eternal life in other places as well. Of course they have. It is essential that we've got to understand eternal life does not reside in a place. It does not reside here in this building nor in any other church building. Anywhere. Because eternal life is a person. And his name is Jesus. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. They're extraordinary verses. Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water, this living water, uh, or the water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them, living water, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is saying that I'm much greater than Jacob and, um, and I'm going to give you something much better than Jacob gave anyone. Now, it seems a little bit strange, doesn't it? When you've got here, look at um, the end of um, verse uh, 14. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, have a look at this. Yeah? Now, it seems a little bit strange, doesn't it, to uh, uh, look at a picture of a, of a, a skipping lamb on the night we just put the clocks back. Winter's coming. But actually, this welling up word, the spring of water welling up to eternal life, you could say that lamb is welling up. It's exactly the same word, okay? It means joy, exuberance. It means satisfaction. It means overwhelming, jumping up and down joy about the whole thing. Okay? Now, just like a lamb in springtime. Now, Malcolm Muggeridge, he wrote this. I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify admission to the higher slopes of human revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. 
It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing. Less than nothing. A positive impediment measured against one draft of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Now, in Jesus' day, living water was commonly meant running water. In the farming community, we know that's fundamental, isn't it, for life. And you will find eternal life here, not because of the building, but because of God's people are here. And Jesus lives with us, and Jesus gives us eternal life. Living water, it is a person and not and never a place. Now, when we lived in Lowestoft, um, there was uh, a group of us once met um, together and included in that number the Roman Catholic priest from the town. He'd been to Lourdes. Is that how you pronounce it? It's in the period of French Pyrenees, and it's a, a renowned place for healing. And uh, he told us what happened to him on the way back on the plane. He told us, amidst hoots of his own laughter, he said, I've been to Lourdes, and on the way back on the plane, on my way back to Stansted, I had a huge heart attack. And uh, the plane had to make an emergency landing in order to get me to hospital. Uh, I've recovered really well, but it does seem ironic. I've been to the place for healing, and actually I had a whopping heart attack on the way home. He was laughing at us, not quite so much. We were glad, glad that he got better and got through that. But uh, you see, you don't need to find go to Lourdes to find healing, and you don't need to go to any place to find spiritual life, because it's all in a person in our Lord Jesus. And someone wrote, because of this, because of Jesus, religious places of worship are now redundant. Now, that's deeply shocking, isn't it? Uh, The Jews, the Samaritans, and I know many well-intentioned Christians will find that very difficult. But let's remember, people, eternal life is found in a person and not a place. Second point this morning is this. uh, True worship. It's a person, not a place. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans all went to worship. They all went to a place. For the Jews, they go to Jerusalem, they go to the temple, those big festivals three times a year and so on. And the worship was all about a place. For the Samaritans, like Gerizim, same idea. And we come here Sunday by Sunday, all about the place. But Jesus says, no, no, it's all about me, actually. From Jesus' day, you don't need to go to a place anymore to worship God. Jesus has come to me. Now, of course, it's candy, it's convenient, it's good to come and meet together. And we have a place where we do that. But the importance is Jesus. Now, the Samaritan woman here, she knows the basics. Look at verse 20. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, she would have said, just pointing to Mount Gerizim, perhaps behind her there. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus replied, look at verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming 
when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, when you see the time in John's Gospel, he means his death and his resurrection. So he's saying that because of my death and resurrection, the place is no longer important. You're going to be able to worship me wherever you are, because my spirit will live in you. And we can engage with God from our spirit, from our hearts, to God through his spirit. It's all about the person. They used to have to go to Jerusalem. They used to have to go to Mount Gerizim, whatever it would be. Christians might think you have to make a pilgrimage to Canterbury or go on the Camino in northern Spain or you come to church. But you don't have to. We can worship God anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. And we're so blessed to have this building here to do this in. But it's Jesus we meet. And we don't have to do it here. So every time we meet here, we need to remember it's all about Jesus. And how do we worship? Well, look at verse 23. Verse 23, Jesus says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come, i.e. because I'm here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So how do we uh, worship then? Oh, by the way, notice there that the Father is seeking true worshippers. That's people to worship him. That's more people to worship him. If you're not a Christian, this is a great place to find eternal life. And the result of that will be true worship. But Jesus says here, let's turn off the... um, (laughs) Never mind, I've just turned off the thing. Right, so how do we worship God? How do we worship God? First of all, in spirit. In spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, it says, you look at verse 23, um, it says the Father in the Spirit, capital S. But actually, I disagree with that translation, and most of the commentators disagree with that translation, because people are saying, uh, who've written about this and worked hard in understanding these things, it's your unseen spirit, it's your heart, it's the real unseen you. God is spirit, capital S, But you can't tie him down to one place, which is why people can worship him truly all over the world today. They don't have to go to one particular place anymore. But worshipping in the spirit is from the heart, from your heart, from your spirit, to God, who is also spirit. Um, For There's more about what goes on inside the heart than what goes on physically. It's what what you really mean. How you really engage with God inside. Of course, we express it physically in some way. We are physical creatures, but it comes from the heart. And that's the starting point. And if it is just external, so if you're just going through the motions, that's not worship. And God hates it, he says elsewhere in the Bible. It's got to be true. It's got to be real. Got to be from your heart. We worship in spirit, from our own spirits to our great God. And then the other thing is, it's in truth. We worship through the only one true way of gaining access to God, through Jesus Christ and his death for us. He's just been talking about the time has come. He's just been saying, I have come and I've come that that I will die for you to open the gates of glory so that you can find eternal life and you can engage in true worship. 
And the truth here is the full light of Christian revelation given to us in Christ and through God's word, the Bible. Worshipping in truth is responding to what we read and what we understand and what we've heard about God and his dealings with the world through his word. It's not just what we think God must be like because it feels nice. No, because if you do that, you can end up in all sorts of daft and ridiculous beliefs. Our worship of God is our response to God based on how God has revealed himself through us and he reveals himself to us, rather. He reveals himself to us through his word, primarily. And any other ideas and so on about God, we come back to the word to explain, to make sure that those are right and true. And then in response to that, we give him his worth from our spirits to the God who is spirit. So our worship, that's why in the morning, for instance, when we, it's good to read our Bibles and to pray. So we can respond to the God who reveals himself to us so we can worship him individually at home first thing in the morning. So uh, it is a matter of worshipping in truth. In truth. And talking of revelation, this passage has a wonderful ending. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Or a paraphrase would be, um, one day Messiah will come. Why don't we wait until then? He'll make it all clear then. Or uh, as William Temple, uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, translated, uh, as Jesus responded, I am... I that am talking to you, I am. True worship. It's a person, not a place. Jesus says to this woman, the one you're thinking about, when you're thinking here about the Messiah coming, in verse 25, and Jesus says, that's me. I've come. You're talking to him. I'm here. I am. Remembering Moses and how God revealed himself to Moses. He knew. She knew. He was saying to her, worship is about a person. This person who is standing in front of you, right here, right now. Don't have to go anywhere. You can worship me now. And he says exactly the same to each one of us now. Eternal life It's a person, not a place. True worship, it's a person, not a place. Christianity, it's a person and not a place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that our faith is about a person and not a place. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to put that into practice every day of our lives for your name's sake. Amen.